Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and a trainer at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Constance Monroe. During the 2008 economic crisis, Connie opted out of her corporate career in finance to pursue transformational coaching services for women going through fertility issues or divorce issues. And in 2021, she achieved her ultimate dream of writing and publishing her first book, Holding On to Joy Through Abandonment and Divorce. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Connie lives in Costa Rica with her life partner, and she's working on her second book. Welcome, Connie Monroe, to Divorce Dialogues. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Catherine. I really appreciate it. It's nice to be here. So, you know, holding on to joy, going through abandonment and divorce. Wow, that sounds like, I don't know, opposites. (laughs) So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you mean by that? What does it mean to hold on to joy while you're going through divorce? Let's start there. Sure. Well, in the forward to my book, I talk about how I feel very fortunate to have been born a happy person. I had a loving family around me and I just feel like I was born happy. You know, the abandonment mm-hmm. part of the issue is my dad, right? My dad abandoned me when I was a young girl. I was about 10 years old. And then the divorce issues, clearly I was getting a divorce when I was, you know, about 35 years old. So holding on to joy, like when I was going through my divorce, like all of a sudden me, this happy, joyful kid, even though you know, dad just walked out and, you know, there were some really hard times when he left and making it through poverty and, you know, just some really difficult situations. All through that, I felt I had joy. And then here I was, a 35-year-old woman going through a divorce, hugely deceived. I'd just been through infertility. And now all of a sudden I had this issue where I was going through this divorce. And I was really, it was the first time in my life that I I felt like I was losing my joy. And in fact, it was my sister who said to me once the separation happened, you know, my sister is this lovely woman. She's like the rock of the family and she's, you know, pretty soft-spoken, really one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. But she took me by my shoulders and she said, do not let him steal your joy. And, you know, I was just so down in the dumps and I was, what she said to me played over my head over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I, I, slowly made my way out of it. And eventually when, you know, after a lot of meditating, a lot of praying, a lot of consulting with other people, some therapy, I thought, yeah, you know what? I think I have to choose the joy. So that's how I managed to hold on to joy, listening to other people, really thinking about it, really, really, really being honest with myself as to what was the right thing to do. And, you know, there's 12 chapters in my book and each chapter is a way to hold on to joy. It's not easy, you know, it's it's not easy when you're faced with a situation where you've been betrayed and where you, you know, you were thought you were on one path and you're not on that path and you're just so 
overwhelmed, you know, you feel like you have the right to not be joyful. You feel like you have the right to be so down in the dump. And you know what? Divorce is not going to kill you. You know, that's what I learned. I, I was home one day coming home from work. I had this routine where I'd be, be like, oh, on the pity potty, you know, I'd like grab a bottle of wine. I returned to my college habit of smoking and I'd sit there with my cigarettes and my wine. And one day I, I came home from work and the phone was ringing. And my, my cousin was crying on the other end of the phone. I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? She's a nurse. She's an RN, practicing RN all these years. And her sister, my other cousin, had been diagnosed with cancer and she was beside herself and she knew prognosis really well. And if she was that upset, it wasn't a good prognosis. And I knew that right away. Mm-hmm. And man, if that didn't wake me up, you know, like, you know, I thought I got off the phone with her and I said, you know what, Connie, you are not going to die from this divorce. You need to sort of get yourself together. So it wasn't, you know, a clean slate after that, but the idea of holding on to my joy of not letting him steal my joy. Yeah. That really rang true to me. And Slowly but surely, I made it out on the other side, a much, you know, happier and better person. You said so much there, Connie, that I just want to separate some of the things out. One is that divorce isn't going to kill you, although smoking and drinking might if you keep going at it. You know, so it's it's like (laughs) what you let yourself. I mean, the point is I'm trying to make is that what you, not you personally, but any of us choose to do with our, with our sadness, uh, you know, our depression, our pain. And, and how we choose to either address it or bury it in something, those habits might actually kill us. So, like, make no mistake oh, that there's there's danger there, but the divorce itself isn't going to kill you, I think, is, is one point that you're making, right? Oh, definitely. And Yep, absolutely. And when you have the opportunity to see the alternatives. I, I had a client in a really difficult, really high conflict where they were just like bickering over every little thing. And and mm. he had a near-death experience in the middle of the divorce. And he was like, you know what? Like none of, the rest, none of that petty, smaller stuff matters. Let's just get this done. And we did. But then later I, you know, I heard through the grapevine that it kind of also kind of slid back down into that place of mm. bickering. And, and so I think that there's, there's in the moment making the decision, wow, you know what, this is, I'm, I'm going to really focus on what's important here and not allow myself to be drawn down into just fighting for fighting's sake because I disagree or I feel like a victim. But then there's also right. holding on to that. And, then, and you know, maybe that's part of what you mean when you say, holding on to the joy and not losing sight of it, even in the later days, after the days you spoke to your cousin. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, I just, the conversation was so jarring that it actually did get me off my wine and cigarettes. You know, like the next day I got, when I went home, I thought, you know what? I feel like it's almost a disrespect to my cousin, right? (laughs) She's the one with cancer with a really bad prognosis. And by the way, she survived, thank God. But oh, wow. I said, you know what, I'm going, to put my run- I'm going to put my running shoes on. And so did I never touch the wine or cigarettes again? No, no, of course, I weaned myself off of it. But I tried to keep, I, I definitely bought a picture of her. I put the picture of her on my desk. You know, I, I constantly wanted to be reminded of what she was going through at that time versus what I was going through at that time. And, mm-hmm. I, and I know what you're saying. It's real easy to slip back into, oh, well, you know, my world is bad. But for me, I don't know. Other than, you know, thinking of her quite often, keeping in touch with her to remind myself 
to not slip back. You know, that was really in the forefront of my mind to not do that. And that like, I couldn't do anything to help her. Right. I couldn't do anything to help her send her flowers. That's not going to really do anything, but to do something better with my life. Yeah. That's what she would want for me. So I just tried to, you know, really keep that in the forefront of my mind so that I wouldn't slip back and say, Oh, well, the hell with it. I'll just, you know, have, you know, <laughs> I'll just have my cigarettes and wine and, you know, be on the pity pot for the rest of my life. So it really was just a matter of any, it's kind of like an exercise, right? You, or something you want to memorize, right? You want to keep that feeling in the forefront of your mind so that you don't slip back. So how do you do that? It's a daily practice. It's a daily, it's a daily practice, right? You get up in the morning. I was not necessarily practicing what I'm about to say until a few years later, but a daily practice of setting your intention for the day. You know, every day I had her picture by my bedside and I would look at it and that's the first reminder, right? Then as the day goes on and let's say it gets difficult, you know, and you, you, you feel like, oh, you know, you're back in that rabbit hole, right? I've learned so much since that time. And my divorce happened so many years ago. But what I saw myself doing and what I'm, what I'm consciously doing today are two very similar things. They're almost the same thing. It's really intentional living, right? Not just getting up and, you know, looking at the picture and saying, hi, I hope you're okay today, whatever. It's all about what are you doing, right? It's not about getting up and getting on your phone or looking at your email. It's about, okay, wait, thank you for another day, right? Whoever you want to say thank you to, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, you know, okay, I'm here. And what am I going to do with this? How am I going to do this day? That's so much more important, right? If we're not doing that, if we're just getting up and being an autopilot, you know, we can really fall back down the rabbit hole really quickly. And so what I didn't even realize I was doing is I was getting that, I was, I was setting that intention for the day. I realized that on the days that I did not do that, I could literally feel myself slipping down the rabbit hole. So it was like, nope, we're not doing that. We are getting up. We're going to be conscious living. We're going to be, con- we're going to be consciously setting an intention because it's like a weapon. And, you know, it's just like anything else. Once you do it after 60 days, it's, it's like automatic. Absolutely. I think that makes a really big difference to stay with it on a daily basis and remind yourself and not give up just because you've had a difficult day. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 530, bringing you the information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And I'm talking today with Connie Monroe about how to hold on to joy throughout the divorce process. And I think that, Connie, it might be useful for the listeners to know what events led up to your decision to divorce. I know that everybody's different, but just to give a little bit of context to to your story. Yeah, sure. So several years of infertility issues, we decided to go on a big vacation if it didn't work. And it didn't work. So we go on this big vacation. And about two weeks after the vacation, my ex-husband said he was going to leave me for another woman. And I was like, how is that happening? Like, we just spent the last few years, like, taking, you know, like, how, how is that happening? Like, you were sticking needles in my butt every night. Like, I don't understand what's going on. So what happened was, is there, you know, there was clearly there was something going on. And I begged and pleaded. I said, nope, you're going to have to, we're going to have to spend the summer together and think about this. 
And then if you really want to leave, I'll help you find someplace else to live on September 1st. September 1st rolled around. No, he was staying. But honestly, really what happened was whatever efforts he he had, he, he really didn't, he wasn't true to himself, right? He wasn't really being honest. I don't think he was being sincere about what he wanted to do. And three years later, I literally found evidence that he'd just sort of been living a double life for three years. And, wow. you know, in those three years, he was very kind. He was, I mean, I, I have to give it to him. He really made me feel loved. He really made me feel like that was his decision. And I just knew, I just knew, I said, you know what, this, this, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And as my other rock, my life mentor and old cheerleading coach said to me, so I had my one sister, I had my sister saying to me, don't let him steal your joy. And then I had this lovely woman saying to me, once shame on him, twice shame on you. This is who he is. This is it. And she said, you know, you paid your dues by the time you were 10 years old when your father left you. Do you really think you, God intended you to live in this manner after you survived that? And that kept playing over and over in my head. And I just knew, I just knew it was time to go. And I did do some thinking of it. I molded over for a couple months. And he even said to me when he moved out, he was like, you know, if you just feel like you can't, he didn't know what he wanted to do. And so he's like, you let me know when you can't take anymore. And it was just about like two or three months. And I, I just sat him down and I said, you know, I'm seeking legal counsel and this is just, I've, I've had enough, so I can't do it. And so you just decided, the two of you together, that it was time to call it quits at that point. Yeah, I think he was a little shocked. I think he he wanted to be the one to make the decision regardless of one way or another. But I had met with him and told him that before I, I went to the lawyer. I had the appointment made and and that I, that was it. I mean, I didn't know, you know, he was kind of he was shocked. It was like a really strange situation. We were we were in a Starbucks and <laughs> and he felt really bad and he started crying and I was like it's all good. I'm okay. You're going to be okay. We're both going to be okay. But this, this has been three years in the making. You can't live like that anymore. Like, when were you going to make the decision? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, I'm making it for us. <laughs> so I just went to the lawyer. Well, that sounds in some ways kind of so civilized and like a <laughs> long journey. Like, you know, like the beginning, I'm sure that many listeners are get the beginning part. I'm leaving. There's another relationship. You know, I'm done. And and you are saying, oh, not so darn fast. You know, we're not ready for this. And him not saying, you know what, I'm out of here. Like that right there is, is a different than a lot of people's stories. So what do you think accounts for that? Because I bet you there are a lot of listeners thinking, well, how come my husband didn't stop? Or how come my wife didn't stop? What did she do differently? And do you think it was that she did something yeah. differently or what? So one thing that I really learned from all this, from this whole divorce experience, is you really, really, really have to be honest with yourself. So what happened was there was a big, I don't even think that's, this, this story isn't even in my book, but there was a night where he was getting, he was getting close to, it was September 1st, that deadline was rolling around, right? And, and so he, he said, no, I'm staying. And I said, okay, whatever. So then he said, I'm going to call her. Will, will you be okay with me calling her? And 
And I'm like, what, to tell her that you don't want to talk to her anymore? Whatever, right? And, and mind you, we all work for the same company, right? Not in the same department, but it was the whole thing became like my, my life was a Daniel Steele novel, right? So anyway, I allowed him. I said, yeah, just do it and get it over with, right? So, I, so he's on the phone, but now I'm like, okay, time is passing. And I'm like, I didn't even pick up the other line, right? We still had a landline. Like this is back in 2001, right? Or 2004 or something like that. Anyway, so... Now, had I followed my gut, to me that, you know, if I'm looking back, right, I'm saying that you don't end it with somebody and stay on the phone with them for an hour, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so honestly, like, I think he was not being honest with himself. He was telling me he wanted to stay. And and frankly, like I said before, right, all of his behavior, that was what my therapist said. I was so angry in the beginning. I I spent about three months putting him through hell. And my therapist is like, well, what is his behavior? And I'm like, you know, he's leaving me notes. We're going out to dinner dates. We're doing and so, but if I have to be honest, and if he would have been honest, he did not want to end that. He spent an hour, probably more than an hour on the phone with this woman. So the big thing is you, you really do have to say, what is, what is your gut telling you? My gut was telling me he's not being sincere with the hour and a half phone call. And he wasn't sincere with me when he said he wanted to stay. So I think a lots of people think about the bigger picture and go, oh, I just can't, I can't do this, right? I'm just going to stay. That's going to be more comfortable. And, and maybe they don't say those words to themselves, but we don't, none of us want to go through, you don't, you don't wait, you know, you're not like a little kid and say, oh, one day I want to get a divorce. I want to grow up and get a divorce from somebody. Of course, right? nobody none of us that. want to do that. Right. So, so I think that that first, well, like I said in my book, right, my very first trap chapter is be honest, completely honest with yourself. And I know I didn't, I did not want to be a divorced person, quote unquote, you know, my, my parents were divorced. That was my mom's second marriage. I mean, there was just so much, you know, all over my head that I didn't want that to be. So I just ignored it. And then when I found the email three years later, I mean, it didn't take me too long after that. I wasn't really holding on. I was like, I just know that this has, I have to let it go because this is clearly If I don't get the sign this time and I don't go with my gut this time, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life or a a lot more number of years in this situation. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And I felt like it was almost a tap from the universe that said, okay, so he's been given a lot. And he was, if I look back and put the pieces together, I'm like, he was given so many opportunities to come clean and he never did. And, you know, it was almost like the universe tapping me on the shoulder saying, look, there's the email. You know, and it wasn't, I wasn't looking, I wasn't fishing for anything. He literally helped, asked me to help him with his computer. And there was the email. And I'm <laughs> like, God, like, and then, and then my lawyer said to me, do you, maybe you do you think maybe he actually really wanted you to see it? I'm like, no, of course he did. <laughs> no, of course he did. Because that's how it always happens. It always happens with that. Yeah. Oh, the, the journal's left open, the computer's left open. I inadvertently <laughs> sent a text to my wife or my husband instead of my <sighs> girlfriend or boyfriend yeah. it's always like yeah. that there's always a desire to somehow get you know i'm putting air quotes around this caught but to to tell in some way without telling yeah i want to yeah. remind yeah. people that you're listening to divorce dialogues i'm Catherine miller we're here on wbox 1460 am in westchester every other wednesday from 5 to 5 30 but we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and i'm talking today with constance monroe about holding on to joy throughout the divorce process and kind of your own divorce is a really wonderful illustration of that. And if people want to learn more about you or your book, how can they do that? Okay, so my 
coaching services are Monroe Coaching, M-O-N-R-O-E, monroecoaching.com. And my book is available on Amazon. So yeah, it's both available in Kindle and in paperback. That's great to know. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about your process. And I know that you were a financial professional before you became a coach. So how do those two things fit together? How do you use the skills or do you use the skills that you developed when you were working in finances in the divorce world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that actually, that's where my the idea to coach people first started. So I really wasn't thrilled about going into corporate finance after graduating from college. I wasn't I thrilled going into corporate America, I just, but I had student loans and, you know, it was easy, right? Again, it was easy. I wasn't being honest with myself, right? <laughs> That's a whole nother story. But I, I you know, I, I was getting a great benefits package. My, the company I work for was amazing. And so all of a sudden within a few years, I'm promoted to a supervisory role. So I had about 15 people I was managing. And that was where I finally said, okay, maybe I can stay in corporate for a while. Cause I really, really, really love helping people. You know, I was in a very entry level type of department. And so lots of people wanted to get into that company, but they didn't want to sit there pushing papers all day, right? I had a few people who wanted to push papers all day so they could leave at a certain time and go get their kids from school. These other people were career people and they'd been working there three, four or five years. And I'm like, you need to move on. And so I actually helped people get some, you know, new career positions that just delighted them. And, And I was like, wow, if I could help people in this manner, then I can really feel fulfilled. And that was something that I really, really, truly enjoyed. So it was really starting out at, in finance, but then managing people in several different capacities, getting promoted again, and then you know having to do some other stuff. That was really the way that I came to the coaching world. And so are there skills about, you know, because sometimes people are like, well, you know, there's so many finance skills, things that many times women or, or men would be like, you know what, I didn't pay any attention to the finances during the marriage. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. You know, so that kind of, I mean, I always think they know more than they think they know, but uh, right, right, you know, right. panic that people have, like, oh my gosh, yes. how am I supposed to make these decisions? Because I just don't know what I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a big one. So much to my shock when I was finding myself in the middle of a divorce, I, was, I realized that when we got married, we had joint everything. I mean, I didn't even have my own, a credit card in my own name. And I have to tell you, that is like, I, I never make that mistake again, but I could not believe that I was in that position. And, and in fact, you know, when I went to the lawyer, I was like, I have nothing I can give this woman to help me without him. I didn't want him part of that process, right? So I actually hocked my diamond and that's how I, <laughs> that's how I paid for the, the first lawyer visit. But the thing of it is financially, I learned a lot about finances working in that, in that world for so many years. And fortunately, you know, we were pretty civilized toward each other. You know, we had quite a number of fights about different things, but in the end, we did a lot of mediating ourselves. The one thing that I, I, I would recommend to people I really think it's important to have, you can have some joint stuff, but to like not go down that path. And I mean, it's too late now, right? When people come to you, they're already in the middle of a divorce. But I think that, you know, our lives were pretty simple. We were both sort of still on that career ladder. So we hadn't really gotten to a point where we had accumulated so much that it was difficult 
we were pretty even keeled. So it wasn't really that bad. Had we waited a number of more years, it probably would have gotten more difficult. But yeah, the finances, I find, you know, people that I've spoken to, you just have to be really like, you just have to get some good advice and you have to be really careful about it. You know, I think that, you know, I've seen some ugly stories where, you know, people say, oh, no, we're going to try and work things out. And then, you know, one or the other partners like out there trying to squirrel away money because they know that it's not going to work out. You know what I mean? Like, that's just horrible. But I, I think I was very fortunate in that manner that we didn't really do those sorts of things to each other. Well, that's really wonderful. Constance Monroe, are there one last quick piece of advice for anybody thinking about the divorce process? Um, just, uh, you know, be honest with yourself. Be 100% honest with yourself. Is, is it the right thing to do? And then get some really good advice, some really good sound advice, like coming to you, Catherine. <laughs> or, or to you. So, uh, or to me for some coding, real- yeah. I can't give them legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think so, the, the, the honesty part is really important. Good. Constance Monroe's book, Holding On to Joy Through Abandonment and Divorce, is available at Amazon, as she said. Thank you so much for being my 